Give me warp in the factor of five, six, seven, eight. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we are here to review Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 8, Surrender. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence. And today, we're joined by someone who I think should be very tired after her long stream today, <laughs> Tasha <laughs> Pierce. How are you doing, Tasha? Oh, I'm just hitting my second wind. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. The longevity here. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, you can follow Tasha at After the Snap Movies and TV, where she covers all things Trek and a whole lot more. So definitely check her out on her YouTube channel. And also on the podcast, we have returning guest Larry Irby. Larry, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. Glad to have you back, sir, as always. And also on the podcast, we have the Who-storian himself, Mr. Cal Jones, how are you doing, man? As always, glad to be here and glad to also have Tasha and Larry with us again. And always a pleasure to talk to you, Clarence, of course. Thanks for each and every one of you who are listening on this live stream or listening after the fact on our podcast. We really appreciate the listen. Of course, what we do here in this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail in addition to talking all things Trek. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel to all decks. We do have a bit of news today that Miss Tasha pointed out to me that we will quickly cover. Star Trek Picard series finale gets IMAX treatment mm. for the final two episodes, which is very, very interesting indeed. Paramount and CBS Studios have announced an IMAX live screening opportunity for the final two episodes of their original series, Star Trek Picard, Variety reports. On Wednesday, April 19th, 10 participating IMAX theaters in the U.S. will provide an early screening of the last two episodes of the third and final season, including the series finale ahead of the Paramount Plus debut. I find that very interesting that we're going to get them, <laughs> we're going to get them before you actually get it at home. Tickets to the screening are free and fans can sign up and register at Star Trek Picard finale screening dot com on Wednesday, April 12th at 10 a.m. Pacific time. The cities include Los Angeles, New York, Phoenix, San Francisco, Seattle, Orlando, Washington, D.C., Atlanta and Dallas. So Dallas, I might have to pop in there. Mm. <laughs> That's right around the corner for me. Now, Cal, this is something they commonly do. I say commonly, but they have done this quite a few times with Doctor Who with their big tentpole events. What do you think about them doing this here with Star Trek? You know, it's interesting. It's one more parallel that we're seeing between you know, Star Trek and Doctor Who, where they're rightfully so reaching the biggest audience they possibly can. I mean, if you want to generate some buzz around the end of the Picard series, how better than not only are you putting it in IMAX, well, not only are you putting it in theaters, you're putting it in IMAX and yep. it's free. Larry, will you be popping up to your local uh, IMAX theater to try to catch this on the big screen? Don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> we had one forever, but we had our IMAX when they were new. And the only thing they showed were nature videos. This is before everybody oh, started Lord. filming in IMAX. So by the time people started making movies in IMAX, they'd close the one here. And Tosh, I wouldn't expect that you'd be <laughs> visiting. I can't get the highway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But I wish I could. You know, you got to be pretty quick 
when you're talking these free tickets though. So like yeah. they say 10 a.m. Pacific. You need to be like your finger needs to be hovering <laughs> over the dial key at like 10 a.m. or you will not get these tickets. So if you can, I, I I'm like I, I want to hear somebody who successfully got the tickets and and went to a screening. So let me ask you guys a question. I'm curious of this, and I'll go ahead and answer my question before I ask it. When we had the opportunity to see the 50th anniversary day of the Doctor in theaters for Doctor Who, I personally chose not to do it. You know, I was in Hattiesburg at the time, Mississippi, and I could have gone and watched it. I chose to watch it at home. If you guys had the ability to go see it in theaters, it was readily available, IMAX or not. Would you rather see it in a theater with a group of people or would you rather watch it at home? I think I'm going to go to this if I can possibly get a ticket. I think the show has been so well crafted. The, the I mean, just gorgeous, gorgeous show so far. I think it's just almost made for the big screen. And this might be the last hoorah for these characters. So I think I would love to see it on the big screen. Not the next generation, the last generation. <laughs> Oh, well, you may be prophetic with that uh, saying that right there, sir. Something right. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers yet, quite yet. I think I would too, Clarence. I would go if, if I could, because I do I, I do a lot better with the communal experience, you know, of how I would feel, that, that sense of sharing it with somebody. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm usually just in here sitting in the middle of the bed watching, you know, so it's always <laughs> different when it's somebody else to bounce your 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 feelings off of. I was sad that I didn't get to see the 50th because it was here. It was um, at the mall nearby. They had it one day, and I don't remember what the reason was that I didn't get to go, but I know something came up, though. But I would definitely love to see it. Cool. Yeah, with no further ado, we'll go ahead and get into the review of Star Trek Picard Surrender, which was written by Matt Okamaru and directed by Deborah Kempmeyer. Vatic forces Picard to make an impossible choice, deliver what he can never give, or watch his crew perish. The only salvation lies in the mind of an old friend and old foe. So for everyone watching and or listening, if you have not seen Surrender, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because... From this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. The spoiler warning has been dropped, and like always, we go right back to Mr. Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Honestly, you never know. Mr. Jones, what do you have for us this week? All right. So anybody watching sees me smiling. So that means that I think I'm being clever here. So here we go. Oh, Lord. Lord help us. You ready for this one? Let's do it. Negan did it better, thereby shattering Vatic's villainy. I, I, didn't, I, know, <laughs> I know the reference. I used a different, I used a different uh, uh, reference in, in, to her shattering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And shatter she did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go around the horn and see what everybody else high level thoughts of this episode. Larry, what did you think, man? I gotta be honest. I, I am you know, I am not one who likes to poo-poo on stuff. I was not a fan of this episode as much. And I struggled because there were a lot of good things in it. 
But the whole scene with Vatic was just so drawn out and so predictable. And it, I don't know, it just didn't do it for me. I was just like, oh, let's get on with the story, okay? She's going to kill somebody. We know who it is. Just let's move on. Yeah, you hit me on some of those points, man, because once I just looked back at this episode and kind of tried to dissect what actually happened for a very long episode, it wasn't a lot. <laughs> it really wasn't. You know, I, I hate waiting. And what they did was set up a promise that they didn't deliver on. So in, in episode seven, we ended with what I took as a promise. And then we started this episode and the, the promise wasn't delivered upon. And we did, as Larry said, we spun our wheels quite a bit. You know, the, the, the data lore stuff, because Brent Spiner is so freaking talented and fantastic. That's, uh, that's a saving grace for this episode to me. Clarence, you and I recently talked in a Discussing Who episode about how some episodes feel like they're nothing more than a preface or an introduction to the next episode. This episode felt a lot like a big, drawn-out setup slash introduction to the cliffhanger of the episode going into this next episode. So I didn't feel like too much happened. I did like some of the things, but yes, the Vatic thing was way, way drawn out. And after feeling that Walking Dead comparison, it's like... I kept seeing Negan and I'm thinking this is right out of that playbook and stop it because it's not as good. <laughs> it's not as good. She's not as menacing either. No. Cal, I have to go right back to you because piggybacking off of what Tasha said about the cliffhanger from the previous episode, Dominion, we got this grandiose thing at the end of Vatic saying, ha ha ha, Jack, it's time to find out who you really are. And I'm going back to Doctor Who just for a quick moment it's known for some really great cliffhangers. But to me, a cliffhanger, and I've been saying this everywhere, you're probably tired of hearing me saying this, the cliffhanger is lost when you do it two times in a row. You, mm -hmm. you can't give us the same cliffhanger twice. And to me, that's exactly what they did. If they would have done the red door and only the red door, that would have been fine. But it goes back again to my central problem with the character of Vatic. It was, it was over the top, campy, and I would have rather her not have said that because it's not like we're not going to tune in to the next episode. I would have rather there have been a cliffhanger where she lines everybody up. It's still mm. another Walking Dead reference, but you line everybody up and say, One of, you know, you've got 10 minutes starting now, goes off. Yeah. yeah. That to me would have been a much more appropriate if you're going to have that cliffhanger of the same thing. Let's get into it. Riker, Indiana, reconnect. Mzadi, the Betazoid term for beloved, which also there was a book series. Larry might know about this, a book series named after that as well that involved Riker, Indiana, and time travel. Did you read those? Oh, my goodness. We, we need some of that. We need some <laughs> of that. Those books were amazing. I read uh, there were two, actually. The second one, not as good as the first one. But yeah, definitely good, good reading. What did you think about them reconnecting in this episode? Oh, I love I love seeing Marina and seeing Jonathan 
you know, because, you know, in real life, they are dear friends and their chemistry has always from like day one, when I'm watching Farpoint and she walks on that bridge, she looked and I went, oh, 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 there's some stuff going on here. You know, before she even got like the way she looked and she's walking down to him. So I've been fully invested in the Troy Riker thing from day one. The whole thing with Worf, none of them like that. Okay, Michael didn't like it. Jonathan didn't like it. Marina didn't like it. But it's what the writers wrote for them. But seeing them and seeing their love grow and deepen over all these years, but still letting us know, hey, people still have problems. Yeah. That is beautiful to me. Tasha, we learned that Riker is good in bed and bad at pizza. <laughs> Was that TMI for you? <laughs> you know what? I, I probably could have guessed. <laughs> but as far as that that whole arc in this episode, it was nice to see because it's always a, a great thing to see these two actors with such camaraderie get together. But what did it have to do with anything? And would you be doing this if you were locked up? You had just gotten tortured. Your wife has just been tortured. Is this what you would be doing in this cell at this moment? And in my opinion, it wouldn't be what I would be doing, I, I, especially if I were Riker and or Troy, I think I'd be trying to figure out a way out. Uh, they're mm. having this conversation about some stuff from at home. And then I'm like, you know, y'all, this is something that can wait. And then the stuff that we learned to me, you know, it's, it's almost sociopathic. Why would why would Troy get in his head like that? It makes me, even though we know these, these people have been through a trauma and we thought we knew them 30 years ago, but we're finding out that there uh, a lot has changed, but this much has changed that she would basically violate her husband in that manner. It just didn't, it made me look at her differently as far as the way they wrote her. There's always a thing in Star Trek of, oh, I'm reading your mind without your permission type of thing. And we learned that Troy has been basically trying to suppress his feelings for Thad dying. Mm. So I can't believe, Tasha, that I'm, I think for the very first time, disagreeing with you on something because I actually liked that conversation between the two of them only because I think Riker went away from the last episode having this big aha moment that I think had created this big divide between the two of them. And now seeing her again after having this aha moment, it made sense to me that the first thing he would want to say is, let me get this off my chest. Let me tell mm. you this realization that I've come to, you know, come to. She, in turn, realizes what I think a lot of counselors have to or psychiatrists have to at some point in their life get to, which is, yes, this is my profession, but my profession and my personal are two different things. And she let those blur because she tried to be both. So... It just, to me, enriched her as a character. Yes, did it seem a little bit off? Yeah, but it made her a little bit more three-dimensional, more rounded character that she wasn't perfect. Uh, Larry, Worf and Rafi to the rescue. They continue to do this pacifism thing with Worf and Riker, which I thought was even funny again in this episode where Riker just like, oh boy, your pleasure hitting on my woman. <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> But but we get some good information. We learned that Picard's body is actually aboard the Shrike. 
And the only portion of his brain that has been removed is the part that contained the eremotic syndrome. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on where this whole thing is going with the eremotic syndrome? None. Seriously, I'm like, what could you use parts of his brain? So basically, they went in, cut out, or, you know, lasered out, whatever. It's just weird where they're going with this. And I pray, I pray with all my Star Trek heart that it's going somewhere good. <laughs> because I, I was just like sitting there, I got nothing. The eremotic syndrome to me, because they've already alluded to the fact that it's not eremotic syndrome. Um, it seems to me that there is something going on in the parietal lobe of the Picard family, starting with his mama and moving to Picard and now the son. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we we went down a rabbit hole and, you know, you were partway with me on the rabbit hole. I, I went down a very long rabbit hole earlier this week. I mean, or last week, late last week. And I'm not going to go all into that, but it left me after I put a lot of pieces together. It left me even more, I guess, uh, what word am I looking for? I'm almost positive that it's locutus that is uh, that is behind a lot of this and that the parietal lobe is different in Picard because he had been assimilated, making it also different in Jack. But you think it goes back to his mother as well? I think, yeah, I think as far as what is different about the front part of their brain goes back to the mother because she was saying even back then, I could see the future. We had these red vines. We had a, a lot going on in season two that I didn't pay attention to until I watched it the other day. Now you're making me want to go back and watch season two again with the mother. And I want to back up, Tasha. I'm, I'm switching back to, you know, agreeing with you because I picked up on something that may have just been by chance. But remember in season two, if I remember correctly, there was the thing with the keyhole with Picard looking through at, you know, the keyhole. There was one part, and I don't know if it was the red door, but there was something that they did in this last episode that they focused on a keyhole. And I was like, that reminds me of season two. I didn't know why it reminded me of season two, but it reminded me of season two. When I did my season two little mini rewatch, I started on episode six because I was I was really looking for something to back up my thought about the endorphins. And I ended up watching from six to, to the end. And there's a lot in those in those few episodes that will point you back to things that we have just recently seen hmm. in season three. And I'm really glad that I did that because I would not have realized how much is leading into this season. They are connected. Was there anything else you'd like to point out right now in the previous season? I know you mentioned the veins, vines, um, maybe being apparent in, in season two as well. Yeah, the, the mother, Picard's mom, was painting those red vines. And I guess at the, in that atrium or wherever she was. Mm -hmm. And at one point, the vines came alive, just like we saw them happen to Jack. We had some interaction between Picard and his dad slash therapist that kind of point back to <laughs> to season three. A lot of talk of connections. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have everything like written down in a nice little list. 
But go back, if you guys have time, watch episodes, at least episodes six through 10. And then you may come back with a different feeling about how these two seasons connect. You, you guys want to hear a, a crazy? I saw his theory online, and uh, I, it was it was hysterical. But I mean, who knows? <laughs> but the gal online says, "I got it. Picard's mother was a Q who took human <laughs> form. No, and that's why Q was interested in him all those years because he was part Q." And I was like. That's a burn explanation to me. <laughs> That's so far fetched. Like, why? I was just like, uh, but then again, who who knows? I don't want to pick, but I just thought, I don't know what's going on, but I know it ain't that. Do you guys think the red door is it a metaphysical or? something in the mind door, like you open the door and it releases a memory or releases a whatever, or is it a physical door? I don't think it's physical. I don't think it is either, but I was just curious. I think it's like metaphysical. I think it's like you're opening up another part of your consciousness that, you know, you're accessing whatever secret that you put because you know he very well could have put that barrier up himself subconsciously i agree too and it's kind of weird that they would use just a plain jane wooden door to represent that in the far future <laughs> but but I, for obvious reasons for us the watchers to to kind of go along with the whole ruse yeah vada gives jack the ultimatum get to this bridge i'm gonna start shooting people every what 10 minutes starting now i got written here you don't know jack uh, and <laughs> does anybody know Jack? And Jack comes clean with the help of Sydney to Beverly and, and Jean-Luc about his abilities. And he was at one point says he's not a changeling. So that, I found that very interesting. But he's always been different. He can see through other people's eyes, control, control their bodies. For me, this just takes me back to trying to figure out what the heck is Jack. And honestly, I'm, I'm like Larry here. I'm kind of at a loss. But did you guys really expect him to come clean at this point? And let's just play it out. How do you like the way that he used those abilities with the first failed attempt? And we could talk about that, too. And and then I guess just taking a direct approach the second time. Uh, how did you like the use of his abilities to try to get the one up on Vatic in this episode? You know, in in practice or in theory, it sounded great because he... You know, we saw what he could do with with Sydney, and that was like incredible. You got this little tiny woman that because you are controlling her, she's able to beat this seven foot changeling, you know. But when we had a male body that's a bit stronger, everything, you know, nothing happened in the same way. And they kind of they nerfed the powers (laughs) in, in, in this episode. And that's what that's what I didn't like about it. Uh, outside of that, in, uh, again, in theory, would have been fantastic until they they got to pulling out the nerf darts. Hmm. Yeah, uh, Kyle, let's talk about this this uh, Negan moment, as you put it. <laughs> and it's funny because I really don't know this crew, but I weirdly felt attached. And Lieutenant Maru says the one line that kind of caught me: "I can't because I'm Starfleet." Thoughts on how this played out? Mm. I really just didn't like it. I mean, again, I kept feeling like cheap imitation, you know, like I had just bought the real brand and then I went back to and said, I want to see this again and accidentally got the store brand. 
and it was one of those with the store brand that's kind of bland. Well, it felt bland to me because I had the other version where I was like literally breaking a uh, remote control whenever I watched it, knowing that it was coming. And this time it was like, eh, so what? Who cares? It's kind of microcosm of, of, of Vanek as a whole to me. It's just so much of her is so cliche. She played the part, ultimately, now that, okay, spoiler, she doesn't survive this episode. <laughs> but Or does she? Or does she? Oh, well, we'll come back to that later. <laughs> but ultimately, I think that I don't I don't like the way that Amanda Plummer played the character. Because it, in the second, I think it was the second episode, she felt calculated, felt very intentional. And then on, it was all just... Uh, dancing around, uh, but she had a cigar on the bridge. Like, geez, just totally uh, not not the type of character I love to see. Now, we do get a second attempt from Jack, and I want to go to you with that, Larry. This plan that Jack had just to buy time, obviously, and we'll get to the reason why he was buying time, but he just came up with a little device, and it again, to me, that's worse than... The whole uh, lining him up thing. He just comes with a little device and threatens her life. <sighs> that was, uh, that was, uh, no, what did we say? We said that was the Negan moment. Okay, uh, this was the Star Wars moment. It's just like, you know, when you had the thermal detonator and you're in Jabba's palace, you know, and Leia, we didn't know it was Leia at that moment, but turns on the thermal detonator and everybody's like, mm-hmm. okay. And I, I don't know, it's so much of this stuff on with Vatic and the bridge just seemed so cliche. And you don't know how much I want to love it. Yeah. But I got to be honest, I just didn't love it. And the fact that they drew it out so much, she keeps hinting at Jack. Oh, I know you've heard voices, haven't you? And I know who you are and what's behind that door. And it's just, oh, my God, just get on with oh, it. Then. Yeah, there was one saving grace for me in that whole scene of, of of the bridge thing. And it had nothing to do with Vatic, and it had nothing to do with Jack, but it was one line, my name is Seven of Nine. I loved that. You know, but 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 he you know he keeps referring to Commander Hanson, Commander Hanson, command and she says, N- my name is Seven of Nine kind of leads me to believe that uh, maybe Shaw is not going to make it throughout this, through to the end of this season. Mm-hmm. I think they're just setting up Seven to take it to the next level in a new series or something or spinoff. I don't know. I, I kind of halfway want to want to step back because the the Seven, seven making it to uh, the next series as a captain is an interesting concept. Uh, but I just don't see him killing Shaw, but I wouldn't mind it, but what I wanted to really say is Vatic. And you know, I'm always the one who points out stuff that kind of fulfills my theory. Vatic says something to Seven when she made the choice that uh, she's going to stay outside of the ready room, that everybody else goes in and and Shaw's like, what are you doing? She's facing consequences. And Vatic says, it's fitting that you stay out here, Mm. which... Why would it be fitting that she stayed? Because she's a flipping Borg. <laughs> and, and also, <laughs> yeah. Jack says to Vatic, you need to tell me or you need to, to uh, let this crew go. There's no point in resisting. There are two obvious Borg references right there in that one scene. Terry Metalis was 
was on Twitter playing his little games and liking people's comments. And he said there was a, a clue that was dropped in that scene and nobody has mentioned it. And when I got in those comments and mentioned it, mine is the only one he didn't like. Really? <laughs> the mm. only comment in those comments that he didn't like. Like that to me is like, am I too close or am I so far away that, that you know, that you didn't even like the comment? They're hitting at it so much, and I'm right down at the same, same uh, line of thinking with you that it has to be board-related somehow. Or is it just too on the nose? It's, are they hitting at it too much that it could be something else? What else could it be if it's not Borg? The most referenced thing outside of the Borg is the Paw Wraiths that, people, that, that we're hearing as theories. But we just haven't heard anything else about the Paw We haven't heard anything about the Paw Wraiths. And in my opinion, and this is just me as writing my own little head cannon stories, to get to the par race, we have to we have to introduce the Bajorans, then the prophets, then we get to the par race. And we still have to explain what each one can do in two episodes, or really one episode. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a tall order for any series. Yeah, it's it's just it's just Almost too much for it to be anybody but the Borg at this point. We've had the Borg referenced so much in this season. It would seem that it that it has to be has to be them. So moving on, probably I guess where we get the name of the episode from is from the thing that happened to Data. The thing that I didn't really expect to see that much of in this episode. And it kind of was the the big thing of the episode because honestly the Vatic stuff was not that interesting, but data is the key to retaking the ship. John Luke Beverly, Jack and Sydney kind of figured this out. They head for Jordy and Alondra to try to see if they can get data <laughs> out of this with positronic matrix that has all of these different personalities in it. I just love the dynamic. I love the dynamic. I love the dynamic of data not being the one to kill, but essentially that's kind of what he has to do in his own way, to take over lore. Kyle, did you figure out what was going on when Data started to give all of these oh, yeah. trinkets yes, to lore? Yes, 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 yes. I, and and this is such a trope, but I was there for it. I loved it. I felt like I was a kid watching Days of Our Lives, Another World, <laughs> Santa Barbara. Wait, this what kids watch those shows? Me. <laughs> um, so I, I really did. I felt like a kid watching soap operas because this is... This is the, back in the day, multiple personality, but now disassociative ID, you know, identity disorder. But it was the classic trope of the two different personalities, one that's polar opposite to the other, and they have to come to a melding of the minds, literally, to merge into one being. So I didn't see it as data replacing lore. I saw it as lore accepting all of data, and then in turn, by accepting all of data, becomes data, with with lore melded into him. Because he makes reference that all of them are there. He's a new data. So the, the blue, I mean, the red encompassing the blue where it looks like, oh, well, he's taking over. I saw it as Lore accepting all of Data, and in turn, the blue comes back to be Data. 
So, Larry, we saw the pipe. We saw a tricorder, a Tasha Yar's holographic picture, poker cards. We saw Spot. Uh, how did you like this scene? And what did you think of Brent Spiner's acting in this scene? I thought the scene was magnificent. And for me, this was something I've been waiting a long time to see. And um, there was a book that came out many years ago. It was like from the angle that Jake Sisko wrote it. Like it was a book that he wrote. He did interviews and wrote. But it was talking about uh, data they had brought him back to help with something that had gone on right after Nemesis. But it was before had downloaded, you know, data downloaded his memory stuff in the before. And finally, Jordy and some other people were finally able to unlock the matrix and release data's consciousness. But there was only enough room in the positronic net for one personality, B4s or data's. And B4 knew that he was just basic and the Federation needed data. So B4 basically sacrificed himself without telling data and gave data his body. Mm. So this was not exactly that, but I waited a long time and I wouldn't be surprised if they took inspiration from that because I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed seeing Brett Spiner basically saying, you know, Lore was bad, but he wasn't all bad. It's almost like he took the best parts of Data and Lore and the, the rest of the songs, and now they're one being. That was that was beautiful. Beautiful. Which, which isn't that making the character completely become full circle? I mean, you've given the Data character every single thing from the first episode that he lacked. Because if you take lore, to me, the way I always saw lore was you take everything that was good about data away and give it emotions. That was lore. So it wasn't that lore was bad. It was just one half of a whole, just as data was one half of a whole. Yeah, not quite human, but something more, something else. Tasha, we hear con uh, the use of a contraction and... Uh, we see a little more expression, uh, Genevieve, whatever you say. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, what really made me happy was when he said, this is your peed off security android. Yes. <laughs> and he, and yes. When he, before he uh, did Vatican, that was he, he, he was so funny. <laughs> yeah. It took a long time to get here, and I almost wish they would have did something like this sooner with the character. Like you mentioned last week, Larry, killing them off, bringing them back, and we keep going through this cycle. But I think this is almost the perfect ending for the character and a, an elegant way to make them look older. Mm -hmm. So I just like everything about this storyline. It's almost like it needed its own episode without all the other <laughs> bad stuff going around. It did. And you know what was funny, too? was with everything we've been through with this character, Data is such a, just a huge part of the next generation because we, through him, we could see humanity in, you know, from his point of view. But it was always, I will say, again, you know, people love canon, love canon. Uh, they have gone so back and forth on Data's emotions does he have emotion? He got an emotion chip. Then he didn't have emotions. Then he doesn't have emotions. And I was like, I'm just happy. I'm just not going <laughs> to let all that slide. 
Yeah. So, of course, like you mentioned, Tasha, that data takes control. Um, we get the evacuation hatch, which is a call back to the HMS Bounty. And yeah, yeah. Uh, Vatic is out there freezing in space and getting shattered in space as well. So Vatic dead. Vatic dead. We hope. I was like, or is she? Dur, dur, dur. <laughs> I mean, because we think that if one of those pieces of of Vatic is retrieved and thawed out, is that a a changeling? Well, all I know is that last episode just left the changelings to pick up the pieces. (laughs) I've been waiting all episode to say that. That's that's good. That's bad. That's very bad. Yeah, but it's so bad. It's It's so bad. It's good. Thank you, Larry. Well, but then the strike exploded right by where her body was. So I doubt there is much of anything left. All it takes is a little piece, a little tiny chip. We didn't see a boss hand face in this episode. But when Deanna gets aboard the ship, she says there's a darkness on the ship, an all consuming darkness. And of course, you know, it has to be Jack at this point. But we get that moment. We get that moment that Cal has been talking about, not on the bridge, but we still could get the bridge moment. But we get the moment of everyone, all the favorites, all the old favorites in the observation lounge. Cal, was this the scene you had been mm, looking for? All I, you season? know, I knew you were going to ask me that. And I will say yes, because I don't know if I'll get the other scene. But I was so happy with that. I mean, it, it just was a good feeling. Just just seeing it. And let me add this, since you mentioned Troy, I liked how they gave, you know, well, let me back up real quick. I know one of our complaints of last season was you had so many storylines going on at one time and it didn't feel like it was jointed. And if you look at it from the perspective that I've been looking at it, that Troy kind of got the short end of the stick or the short straw or whatever, because she really hasn't been seen very much in this season. But their explanation of now she's there and she's going to help him open that door, if she would have been there the whole time, mm. then we would be asking the question tonight, well, why didn't she do this, you know, four episodes ago? So I like that there was if they're going to have her help him do this, that she wasn't there the whole time because then it would have seemed off. And also the fact that he's just now really admitting to it, you know, it's, it's not really become full blown until now. So guys, that's pretty much all I got for this episode. I mean, it was a pretty straightforward episode. We had the amazing scene from Brent Spiner. He even mentions in the ready room, he just kind of, when he was in that, I don't know if it's a volume or whatever, green screen and he's doing his scenes he would just kind of do lore and turn around and do data so <laughs> just brilliant acting from him and still waiting to see what happens to jack i'm i'm that we we better get it immediately in the next episode we it's a must it's a must yeah it's a, it's enough with the the setup i mean sometimes you can just set up too much and we need um we need the payoff we need the we need to know which is so funny because I had been so happy about this season of giving us a mystery in the next episode to give us an answer. But this one, they they stretched it out just a little bit too far. And and Tasha, I think you're the one that said you're tired. So Yeah, I'm just tired. <laughs> <laughs> and look, we start to see this, okay, the, the evolution of the red door. I guess we can we can say that the red door is has changed. And like Kyle said, this this last episode, they they focused on the keyhole. 
and you see these flames shooting out of the keyhole. <laughs> and, you know, of course, I've got my theories on why, but I'm like, why, why is this door? It's not, nothing about it. It started off one way and, and now it's something entirely different. So it, what, why are you focusing so heavily on this door without giving us just anything that's a, even more of a glimpse? But yeah. now we saw those flames and I guess that's supposed to be another hint. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's so funny. The new versions of Star Trek lately have this thing, and I'm not being a pun here. This is real. They have a thing for red. We had the red angel, and now we've got a red door. The red lady. Red, you know, so mm-hmm. interesting. I also the queen with the red hair from second from the second season. It's like so many, you're right. When you think about it, red has mm-hmm. been a, a an ongoing thread. And wasn't Gerardi when she was being possessed by the queen in a red dress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we are uh, got to wait and see what happens in these last two episodes. We'll see. Kyle, I'll start with you, man. What's, what's your rating for this episode, sir? Okay. This just popped into my head. So I'm going to go with it. 3.9 out of five. Larry, what do you think, man? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going, <laughs> going about a, a, a 3.8. Tasha, what do you think? 3.5. And actually, I'm not going to be too much higher. I'm going to go about a 3.7 because, uh, man, I really expected so much more. And uh, what the Cardinal Sin, again, the Cardinal Sin this episode was the tease and they did not deliver. For anybody listening to the podcast or maybe watching the stream on replay, what did you think of the episode? How would you rate it? Hit us in the comments or you can send in feedback to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. And I'm just going to open the floor for Tasha real quick to just plug her YouTube channel and then tell us anything else you might want to tell us. You know, I love to talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, my channel is called After the Snap Movies and TV. I talk a lot about Star Trek and other things, but it's been mostly my focus has been on Star Trek here lately. And you are welcome to join me on my channel on uh, Sundays for live streams and usually Tuesday and and Saturday for videos. Yeah. And I'll just say again, her stream was on fire today. So uh, if you haven't been checking in, you should definitely follow her and also just, just uh, make sure you subscribe because she is dropping some knowledge on some of her theories and prediction videos. Larry, any final thoughts before we wrap this thing up, sir? Um, what was the, again, for everybody, because I want to make sure um, where they're going to be having these screenings at. Los Angeles, New York, Phoenix, San Francisco, Seattle, Orlando, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, and Dallas. Yeah, I think I'm going to try to hit it up, man, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in Fort Worth, so I'm right around the corner. Kyle, any closing thoughts or anything you want to plug before we get out of here, man? No closing thoughts, but I will plug our sister brother podcast, Discussing Who. You can find us at DiscussingWho.com. And if you like sci-fi and if you like comedy, you can also find me on Oz9, which can be found at OZ-9.com. Guys, thank you for joining me. It's been fun. You know, you gave me a little hope on the episode. I really didn't enjoy all that much. So I'm glad we had something to say. But until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. 
For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. You've been listening to The Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com. Can I say that like shut up Wesley? I can just go shut up Clarence?